Cybersecurity is a constant evolving domain with new challenges every minute. Are you a cybersecurity professional trying to broaden your knowledge or someone trying to just get into the space? The CyberHuddle podcast brings industry experts and junior cyber professionals together to discuss this ever-evolving space. Welcome to the CyberHuddle podcast. Hello, cyber professionals, and welcome to the first episode of the Cyber Huddle podcast, the podcast where we not only talk with seasoned cybersecurity experts, but those trying to get into the space. Today, I am joined with award-winning CISO and author Dan Lorman. Hi, Dan, and welcome to the Cyber Huddle. Frank, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks Thanks for coming on. Now, I can't express like how excited I am to have you on the show um, just because of your experience. So tell our listeners, Dan, like who is Dan? Yeah, so uh, I guess to start off with with my family, I'm I'm married 31 years, uh, four kids. Uh, we live in Michigan and I've been very blessed throughout my life in the cybersecurity world. Started my career at the National Security Agency. Actually, came out of Valparaiso University in the mid 80s and got a degree in computer science. So I went was, worked at NSA for all, over five years. Got my master's degree at Johns Hopkins in computer science and. Then we moved to England, and we actually lived uh, on a U.S.-U.K. military base in Northern England, and uh, worked for uh, Lockheed Martin, worked for Mantech International. Actually, it was Laurel Aerospace, but they got bought by Lockheed Martin, so I just say Lockheed Martin. But I uh, did a lot of networking, did a lot of uh, computer security work. I led a team there. Really loved living in England. Lived loved my time at NSA. NSA was a great place to learn, work with the military community, but also work with you know the civilians. There in Fort Meade, Maryland. And then I joined Michigan government. So it's a long story as to how that happened. And we won't go, go there today, but actually came. My wife's family's from Michigan. We moved here in late 90s and a lot of different roles in Michigan government. So I was first an agency CIO before we centralized all of our technology in Michigan. And we uh, then I, you know, back in those days, it was all about Y2K, year 2000 and, and databases, COBOL. Worked um, for a couple of years in, in Michigan.gov, which was, or eMichigan, it was called, started Michigan.gov, which was the first .gov state government. Now, you know, 20 years later, everyone just assumes everybody's got a .gov. But back in those days, everybody had their own websites, their own colors, their own look and feel, their own, you know, every division had their own portal, almost like their own AOL page kind of thing. Uh, but it, we, you know, we merged all that common look and feel, common data repository. And, and, uh, and then 9-11 happened. So, you know, a lot of swing. Didn't know if I'd be going back to security, but I became the first chief information security officer in Michigan in 2002 and actually the first CISO for all 50 state governments. So not the federal side, not the private sector, but we were the first state to put together an enterprise-wide CSO role and really kind of led the Michigan team there during those early years, under the Bush years, worked with DHS and White House and National Strategy on securing cyberspace and early, you know, just did a lot of great stuff in Michigan. I was CTO for three years and then CSO, chief security officer, went back. We had, we brought physical and cybersecurity together under one office. Did that. Loved my security years. We did a lot of stuff during those years. Wrote my first book, Virtual Integrity. Had a great team. I mean, there's so many things I could say about those years, but the journey was great. Then I left in 2014. I joined a company called Security Mentor. We did security awareness training all over the world, CSO and the chief strategist for the company. Uh, now, um, and then I switched about three months ago. I joined uh, Presidio. We're a global digital services company, uh, cybersecurity company. 
get involved in helping really everybody transition the digital transition over to the cloud and get involved in lots of different aspects of that. I focus in my role on public sector. Um, so mainly work with governments, uh, helping them secure their architecture, their infrastructure. Yeah, love my job, love working with CISOs all over the world, especially in the United States and state and local governments and universities is really where my, my main focus is right now. But I also help the private sector as well. So it's kind of a long, long intro, but uh, that's kind of my career. Well, so uh, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. We did not discuss this question. So, okay, go for it. <laughs> uh, so you brought the uh, brought up the uh, doing cyber awareness training. You know, I was having a discussion earlier today about that. And so the question I have is like, you know, cybersecurity training is good, but I think sometimes we over. I'm not gonna say we we yeah we overuse it to where it becomes ineffective. And it's a check. We use it as a check the box. How do you guys overcome those types of challenges uh, to make it like interesting, engaging, making people's time worthwhile to do this stuff? Like that seems like a very hard task. One thing I loved about Security Mentor is that they really gamified. It was interactive, engaging. To your point, I mean, one of the reasons that company was formed was really in response to kind of boring, stale, you know, kind of check the box training. And and I knew that myself. I mean, I actually had that journey myself in, in, in Michigan. We had built kind of death by PowerPoint training and done the same thing every year, just kind of check the box, we did training, we're done. But by the time, you know, by the time we had done it five, six years in a row, it was just, it was stale. It was like, people were saying, teach me something I don't already know. So I think the key with awareness training Whatever you use, and Security Mentors is a great product. There's a, there's a number of good products out on the market, but I, you know, is is you got to change it up. You can't keep doing the same things. You got to teach people things they don't already know. You got to make it engaging and interactive. It can't just be boring. I mean, one one of the things we saw in security awareness was people would just literally, if you show them videos, they would give you good videos. They're fun. Well, a lot of people would say, yeah, I saw this last year. Same thing year after year after year. So people would iconize, you know, start the video go down the hall, use the restroom, get a cup of coffee, come back, see if the video is over. They wouldn't even watch the video. And, and you know, security and, and technology, you know, we, we try and get smart. Like say, we, we make it so they can't run anything else while they're watching the video. You can't do this, you can't do that. All you're doing is putting up roadblocks for people. I mean, what you really want to do is, is make it engaging, making it interactive, teaching them things. If you can gamify it, I know you're in the military, all the better because, you know, you know, virtual reality, people love that. But, but making making things really um, fun, that was kind of funny in the early days. It was like, you can't have fun security training. That's an oxymoron. But you can. You can make it engaging, interactive. I think the mo main thing, though, beyond just that, I mean, people go too far with that, with cartoons and stuff. You really want it to be relevant for people teaching them in their job how is this going to help you in your life going over things like two-factor authentication and people are scared of that you can talk about that it's just even though it's a mouthful to even talk about it facebook talks about two-step authentication but just or password with another step which is a text message but that can add so much security to the environment just by having that versus a password but but 75 percent of americans still don't use it it's still 25 percent so, I mean, that's some, something as simple as that can really make a huge difference. So, I mean, making it, helping people understand it, helping them see the value of it, and then how it can change their lives and really help them be more secure. And if you do that, 
you're going to be affected. Absolutely. I really appreciate that perspective. I reached out to Dan, uh, just so my listeners have some context here, because I came across your article on govtech.com, which you have a slew of articles there. The article was the top 22 cyber predictions for 2022. So before we go into 2022, so what happened in 2021? It seemed like it was a complete mess when it came to cybersecurity, (laughs) ransomware breaches. Yeah, I mean, 2021, um, I have an article before that, that. The top issue really was ransomware. Clearly, it was, you know, the, the numbers are astounding. And you look at a report came out from Congress saying it was as many ransomware incidents in 21 as the previous 10 years combined. So it's just the, the numbers are just staggering. I think the, the thing people don't get overall is is how impactful that is if your business or your government gets hit. I mean, I just was literally this morning seeing some new numbers that just came out that just boggled my mind, like over 30% of companies in the U.S., the U.K., and in uh, it's over 40% in the UAE, um, United Arab Emirates, um, are go, go, go under, go bankrupt, or, or close their doors because of ransomware. So the, the impact is just huge. And so people getting hit in new ways, I think the, the, the big headline there with ransomware is a colonial pipeline. And, and, you know, everyone thinks about that story in the spring, but, you know, just kind of put it in context. I mean, I think for a lot of people, you know, we live in this world of cybersecurity. And if you're listening to this, you probably it's part of your profession or you do deal with it every day. A lot of people, it's just not real to them. They just don't think it's that important, but all of a sudden you've got lines in the Southeastern part of the United States that people can't get gasoline, you know? And, and I, I put in one of my blogs, but I could just imagine a father driving a six year old daughter to school and her saying in the back seat, daddy, why are there lines? Those cars were not lined in the gas station yesterday. Why all these cars? Why these gas lines? And his dad turning around and saying, honey, it's ransomware. <laughs> and, you know, trying to explain to a six-year-old. I mean, and, and that's when it gets real for a lot of people all over the world. It's like, this is real now. This is this is something we're having to explain to our first graders because we have gas lines in, in the Southeast part of the United States. And, I think that was a wake-up call. Now, we, JBS meets, we've had lots of others. We've had, of course, we'll probably talk about this in a few minutes, solar winds. We've had lots of other big attacks, but most of those didn't have that hit you in the gut kind of feeling for most people in America. And I think, you know, we've seen this around the world. We saw that in hospitals. I think one of the biggest ones in Ireland, I, we didn't see it as much in the U.S., but a lot of hospitals in the U.S., same thing, literally shut down the Irish health service. I mean, they could not do operations. 80-some percent of their appointments were canceled for a week. And the only reason they were able to open back up again in Ireland was literally because, you know, the, the bad guys, the act, bad actors, gave them the data back, basically didn't make them pay. But they said, we're going to release the data still if you don't pay us. We still want us to pay. But they got such blowback from around the world because people were dying, literally, because they couldn't get operations that the bad actors just, you know, basically let them not have to pay the, to pay the Bitcoin. But I mean, just so many stories around governments, small businesses, the attacks, the data breaches, all of it was up. And 2020 was a record year. 2021 was worse. Wow. Yeah. So a lot did happen. Why do we believe 2021 was so packed full of that stuff? Negligence on our part? Was it, you know, were we just not cybersecurity aware? I mean, I think it's a combination of facts. People always ask me, you know, state of the industry and it's like so many other things. You know, I, I use a lot of football analogies. I use a lot of sports analogies. And I actually have some blogs, with, you know, comparing cybersecurity to football. You have offense and a defense. You've got a lot of different things. I mean, but every year you've got, you know, you've got your, your uh, 
the teams that are struggling, you've got your teams doing well, and you know, you're gonna have a Super Bowl winner. I do think that there are some organizations, I don't want to be all negative, I don't want to, you know, that are doing a good job and that are that are protecting themselves. But by and large, we have our leaders, we have our followers, we have our laggards. And I, I think the reality of it is, is that I, I think back to the point I made earlier, I think a lot of organizations don't, A, really didn't get the seriousness of what it means. They hit home. You know, what does a ransomware attack really look like? What is that really going to do to my business? What is what is going to do to my critical infrastructure? What is going to be the impact? Or or the scope of the challenge, you know, we don't want to get into too much of this detail, but how, how like, you know, how they got into the Colonial Pipeline, they didn't actually hit the pipeline themselves. It actually was the back office systems and then went sideways. And then the company decided, hey, we can't do billing, so we need to shut down the pipeline. So, you know, the ramifications of hitting different parts of the business, what that really looks like. So, and I think a, a lot of people, a lot of experts, probably people smarter than me, say it's, it's an accumulated debt over many, many years. And so, you know, like anything else, you know, these things are trends that take time and then you've got to pay it back, you know? And, and so if your company wasn't ready, if you didn't have backups, if you didn't, if you weren't able to, we, some people said, well, we have backups, we're ready to go. And then they discovered it was going to take them weeks to restore the backups. So they, they hadn't really thought through the whole process. And now, even if they had backups, it was like, well, I can't, I can't have this business be down for six weeks. So I'm going to go ahead and pay the ransom. So the, those kinds of things. And I think as people are really, you know, I think America really is, and certainly Fortune 500 companies and, and many, many, many governments are really now waking up to the reality that this is a national priority. And certainly the military got that message as well and really needs to be front and center uh, for executive leadership. Yeah. And so you kind, of, you kind of hit the nail there on the head about like Colonial Pipeline is actually a really good example because it's one of those things as soon as it happened, like it becomes a, okay, so what else do they get access to? And so now we have to stop, we have to assess, and we have to make sure it didn't get any worse than what it could have been. And I think that's kind of like the big thing within cybersecurity now is like, you know, businesses will stop because now they're afraid. So what, where do I go from here? From the security aspect and from a business aspect, you know, now you just kind of lost credibility at that point that I can secure data, right? So I think that's a very good, appreciate how you explain it to our listeners about how, you know, the colonial pipeline, the, the infrastructure wasn't hit that runs the, the pumping of the oil. It was the, the back end office and the, the lot of movements. So um, I think that's, that's a really good comparison of, of what's been going on. 2021, I'll consider that, okay, we're gonna chop it up as a loss. So what can we expect in 2022? Yeah, I mean, uh, if the experts are right, <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> By the way, this report is not just Dan Lorman's predictions. I always want to start off with that. It's really what I do every year, and I've been doing it now for almost a decade. Um, and I started writing about predictions um, even going back 15 years now. But I, I find these fascinating. Some people say, well, who cares about predictions? They're kind of like, who's going to win the Super Bowl or bets or this or that? But it's more than that. It's more than that in this sense. It's, it's like, you know, when you think about, you know, for your own for your own family for your own financial situation, you know, who do you believe? What do you believe about the economy? What's going to happen with inflation? What's going to happen with the stock market? And then, and, the, and, and what you believe and who you listen to and what you do with that information is going to be very impactful to your, to your financial success and to your, you know, to a lot of the things you do with your money, right? Same thing with weather, same things with so many areas of life. We rely on this information and all the major cyber companies now come out with predictions. And these are really kind of forecasts that's kind of connecting the dots around, you know, what are the trends that we saw over the last 
year, two years, and then how is that going to play out in the new year? So um, these are really the predictions from the top companies out there, um, you know, like, like Trend Micro and, and FireEye and, and so many others, um, AT&T and more. But the top focuses this year, uh, a lot of people say, you know, we're going to have a continuation of a lot of those same ransomware threats, uh, a continuation of data breaches. They'll be different, though. They'll evolve. I mean, people thinking, you know, the, the bad actors are going to are going to you're going to adjust and 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 merge. So it won't be exactly the same as last year, but the majority of experts think it's going to get worse in 2022. New focuses areas are around threats in space, which is interesting. You know, all through 21, put security aside for a second, we saw you know Elon Musk, we, you know, so many different people talking about space and, and, you know, I mean, you don't go through all the different, you know, uh, Bezos and all, all the different people who, you know, um, you know, have different space private, you know, tourism and putting people on the moon and, and new satellites just went up. We just had a new uh, re replacement for the Hubble telescope. I mean, there's a lot of stories around space. Guess what? The bad actors are going after space as well. So, you know, uh, cyber attacks around satellites, cyber attacks around, around space programs and, 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 and a lot of those things are, are, are some of the themes. A lot of focus around OT or operational technology. So not just the, you know, the, your computers, your PCs, your servers, but you know, some people call about IoT, Internet of Things, more and more tax in the IoT space. A lot of emphasis around cryptocurrencies and crypto wallets. So again, a run up, although you know, right now as we're taping this, you know, there's been a little bit of a sell-off here in late uh, January. But, you know, the run up in Bitcoin, the run up in Ether and, and uh, Ethereum and, you know, that, that a lot more tax against not just the, 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 the currency themselves, but the, the, the wallets, you know, making sure if you had a really good successful run in, 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 uh, in cryptocurrencies, making sure you're properly protecting them. There's a lot of stories around that. A couple others I'll just mention uh, the continued struggle to find enough people, talent, cyber talent is a big issue, continues, people think it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Um, and then a lot of emphasis around vehicles and um, AI, autonomous vehicles, drones, new technologies, and then cyber trends around those. So predictions in those areas, you know, again, I just wanna say one other thing, Frank, I'll mention to you is, is that um, there are a few contrarian reports, like I do mention in there, there's like a disagreement in there, and I, I try and post this. And, and link to all of these reports, you can get them in one place, um, where they basically say a, a few different people think that ransomware will actually get better, and the good guys are going to start winning more battles. So it's not all bad news. Um, some people think we're going to get better this year, but the majority think it's going to get worse. And again, the name of the article is the top 22 security predictions for 2022, and it's at govtech.com. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And like I said, I appreciate your perspective. Um, I've been following on LinkedIn and, and you know, reading this article, and I, I like how you take that very non-biased approach to kind of see all the facts, see what they are, and just, you know, it, these predictions are, are important simply because, like, it's kind of like that map. we got to figure out where we're trying to go, what we're going to do, how we're going to respond. You know, I was, I was uh, reading an article yesterday about an unnamed government organization. I th they came up with, like, 60% of them didn't have a risk assessment done or any type of vulnerability assessment and it's like we have to start with something and that's where kind of these predictions come into play okay so if we're going to see you know uh, an increase in you know name the attack okay let's let's kind of prepare for let's see if, how that plays into our space um and what can we do to mitigate those risks and i think that's that's uh, very very important um from anybody who's in whether you're getting into the field or, or or been in the field for a while like 
you know, you got to have somewhere to start. The other thing I like to put in there is the the shortage of cyber security professionals. So sometimes I wonder, so I, I agree there's a shortage, but sometimes I wonder if companies are trying to get, I'm sure you've seen the resumes on LinkedIn where people are, they want like an entry level person that has like 18 years experience. And it's like, that's <laughs> like not practical, right? Yeah, um, and people yeah. got to start somewhere. And so I, I think that in some cases, like some companies need to take a chance on these younger entry-level, actual true entry-level folks. I deal with a lot of brand new recruits coming into the into the army doing cybersecurity. It's amazing the stuff that they come up with and their methodology of thinking and tackling problems. Um, that's kind of where this podcast is kind of going is I, I want to hear from the experts, Dan, and I want to hear from the person on the bottom floor, like, let's, let's talk about this. Like, how are you thinking this? And, you know, some of them, I worry we won't be able to keep them in the ranks just because they're so smart and so brilliant on how they think and how they attack these complex problems. But yeah, I kind of, I kind of hope that we're doing our due diligence by, you know, finding that talent and then kind of like, you know, molding that talent into the, the, the future Dan's that come behind us and continue forward with this, this cybersecurity stuff. Um, what, what are your thoughts? No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm all for, you know, uh, you know, I, I've said this, you know, in fact, I've written this in some of my, some of my uh, blogs, you know, we need people to say the emperor's got no clothes. And, you know, who was it that did that? It was, it was, it was, it was the children that were saying the emperor's got no clothes, right? So, I mean, that that's true in lots of areas of life. It's certainly true in cybersecurity. And I totally agree, you know, that there's unreasonable requests out there. I, I, I'll put a plug in for government. A lot of times government is a great place to start. You know, and the military is a great place to start. To get your, to get those, get that experience, get that hands-on. For those who aren't in the military, maybe, or don't have those opportunities, might be listening in, you know, get an intern job, get, you know, get a job as a student. So many organizations now more than ever. Right now, I mean, America, you know, pretty much any job you want is available. I mean, it's like you, you can't get people at McDonald's, you can't get people at the fast food restaurants, all the way through to trucks, driving, you know, whatever it might be. All of these people are important. So we need to treat everybody with dignity. Everybody needs to be, you know, respected. And in addition, I would just say, I just, you know, been around a while. Uh, my career is over 30, 35 years. And, and I'll tell you, you know, it's not going to last like this forever. So if you want a career in, in technology and cybersecurity, this is a great time to, to, to get a job as a student, get a job as an intern, get involved, get some hands-on experience. And those are the people that really find it, I think, very, very easy. Companies, governments want to then, you know, bring them right in to those entry-level jobs and because they work with them as a student. In some cases, if you're a government, you get a clearance or you're a government contractor, you have a clearance. It's much easier to get right into, you know, a role there. If you've, if you've been working summer job, you know, I know NSA and a lot of the three-letter agencies are that way that, you know, once you've got that clearance, you've got that in, right? And you can get in and you can work in those kind of jobs. So absolutely, we need all of the above. We, and, and also, I would just add one more thing. People who are coming over from other careers. I've seen, you know, some of our best people came over as they were system administrators or they were database people or they were, you know, they came in from web developers and, and they came over in the cybersecurity with that, with that experience that they brought from other technical disciplines. And honestly, we need all of the above. And, uh, and there's plenty of jobs and, and there's really a shortage of entry-level people as well. So I, I have heard that. I'm not saying it's necessarily always easy to get a job, especially if, if the process for applications and, and interviews. And I mean, I know people that are just 
go, go down a rabbit trail here. People who literally, they want to hire people and the people that were going to do the interviews left. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it, we're, we're, it's just taking so long. So, you know, it, it takes some patience, but if you're persistent and if you're a go-getter and if, you know, you, you study hard, there are jobs in cybersecurity. And I certainly, certainly hope that you'll consider that. No, definitely. Definitely. And I appreciate that. So we're going to go ahead and shift focuses here. Recently co-authored a book, uh, Cyber Mayday. Uh, go ahead and uh, tell us about that book, how you got to that. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate that. Yeah, the name of the book is Cyber Mayday and the Day After, A Leader's Guide to Preparing, Managing, and Recovering from Inevitable Business Disruptions. And uh, I'll just give you a quick little journey on the book. Um, so about 18 months ago, um, I, I was communicating with a woman who's really an outstanding cyber expert in uh, Australia. Her name is Shemaine Tan. And we had worked together on several projects. Um, little side note, you know, she'd written for her first book and I had given her some stories and helped her write uh, a section or a, an, um, some stories from my career. You know, almost a story about how I won't go into that today unless <laughs> you want to go there, Frank, but how I almost got fired and as a CISO 25 years, 20 years ago, uh, 20, 2004. Some funny stories, some interesting stories about good, bad, and ugly in my career and, and things that happened to me. And so she, you know, I was in her first book. We had done some blogs together. I was actually going to go over there. I was going to a wedding. My wife's brother lives over in Australia and my niece was getting married out in, in Sydney, Australia. I was literally going to be going first time in Australia, never been there before, was going to go and, and, and speak at a conference there. And, you know, that was first week of April when COVID hit. So <laughs> COVID, COVID, you know, it never happened. I never actually went to Australia. And we we're going to go the next spring break, the next year, got canceled again. So you know, still haven't been to Australia yet. Hopefully, if you ever have me back, I'll start off with, did you ever make it to Australia? But anyway, uh, you know, we've been communicating a lot. We actually did a number of, of those same um, cyber summits online. Interestingly enough, got great response from all over the world, Japan, Africa, Asia, Australia, all over the United States. And so some really successful events we've done together. She said, Dan, let's write a book together. So she came, that, oh, that long story short about she's really, really talented. And we said, well, what do you want to write about? This is before Colonial Pipeline, before solar winds hit, before, you know, before we had JBS meets and all that. So both of us felt like the topic that we, we were missing in the market was around, you know, ransomware, cyber incidents, but what, from the perspective of, you know, the business leader, the CISO, what happened? You know, people love true stories. People want to hear true stories. You know, what happened from through your eyes? Not just, you know, we have checklists. And believe me, checklists are important. Lessons learned are important. Five tips for this, three tips for that, seven ways to do something else. And, and we have a lot of that information in here, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of links to NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology, a lot of DOD examples, but mostly it's 35 stories, some, um, some in government, some in the public sector, some in the private sector from all over the world, not just CISOs, but business leaders. A lot of this is written for a business audience, like what happens? And we divided the book into three parts. It's what happens before an incident, during an incident, and after an incident. So, you know, cyber media, the, you know, the day before, you know, so we talk about things like, I won't go through all of it, but you know, we talk about things like tabletop exercises and do you have a plan? Have you built a good, a successful plan? 
Um, have you tested that plan? Are the right people involved? Do you know how to communicate? Then, you know, during an incident, you know, what happens? And again, it's true stories. And then learning from those, you know, tips, you know, things that I would do differently if I, you know, had I known these things, I would have done these things differently. And then after the fact, you know, okay, now we had a ransomware attack. We had a breach. That was bad, you know, kind of lemons to lemonade. And, and so, you know, that was bad. It was lemons. It really, boy, but what can I, what can I learn from that? And what can I tell others? Do this, don't do that. You know, so tips. That's really what the book's about. It's really stories and, and practical tips. We have a whole section at the end. It was chapter 12. It's now an appendix that really kind of linking you to a lot of great materials from federal government, state governments, other governments around the world, private sector companies. Like what, what plans do they have? What are some of the playbooks, scenarios that they're worried about? How did they run their tabletop exercises? So some free resources that you can use. And we link to a lot of those in the book as well. That's awesome. That, that's almost like a CISO must have uh, just so that way, you know, you, you kind of can prepare before it happens because the last thing you want to do is figure it out after the fact. So if, if you don't mind, can you give us a snippet uh, from your book to share with our listeners? Sure. I'd like to read just a little quick little story. Just I'll read to you guys from chapter five. Uh, the title of the chapter is Where Were You When the Sirens Went Off? And this is how it starts. Your network has been locked. You need to pay 30 million US dollars now. The following was an actual real life negotiation between a ransomware gang and a $15 billion US victim company that was hit with a $28.75 million ransom demand in January of 2021. After a few rounds, the victim company counters with a $2.25 million offer, which was met with a scornful response by ransomware criminals, paraphrased here. It is very funny to watch a few of your admins trying to install MS Exchange server in three days and you can't do it. We have encrypted 5,000 of the 6,000 of your servers. If we do some very simple calculations, your expenditure is like, let's say $50 per hour or even a generous $65 per hour. So 24 hours spent to restore one server multiplied by the number of servers encrypted by us, that is like $10 million in just only labor expenditures alone. It's interesting to note how these ransomware gangs have found an effective way to communicate the financial impact of business interruption caused by their cyber attacks and demonstrate how their victims will cut their losses by adhering to their demands. They continued, but don't forget that you spend all this time on installation and oops, you can't even restore any data because it's gone for the next 1000 years. They added the time factor pressure at the end of the message, but also showed some mercy at the same time. The timer is ticking and in the next eight hours, your price tag will go up to $60 million. So either you take our generous offer and pay us $28.75 million or invest in quantum computing to expedite the decryption process. When the company asked for additional time, the crooks countered by writing back, I don't think so. You aren't poor and you aren't children. You have to meet the consequences. A day later, when the company finally managed to get the authority to pay $4.75 million, the extortionists agreed to lower their demand to $12 million on the condition that the remaining amount be paid within 72 hours. After a few additional messages, they came to an agreement where the criminals promised that the hackers would not launch any new attacks. The company would get the tools to fully decrypt and, and all encrypted data. The hackers would completely leave the network and never target them again. The hackers would give the company access to the data to delete it themselves. The data would never be published or resold. The hackers would provide a full report of their actions, how they got into the network, how the attack was carried out, including tips on how to improve their security and protect against penetration from other hackers. The company ultimately paid an $11 million ransom 
with the criminals assuring them that they would not attack or help anyone to attack their network moving forward. I, I could go on, but I'll stop there. That's just one story. And then it obviously goes into, okay, some other details, but that's, uh, that's, that's uh, one story. Though. That's crazy. You don't ever hear that in depth of a story, especially the exchange of communication between the attacker and the company. And it, it just, you know, it goes to show you, like, we're not just dealing with, you know, like script kitties. We're, we're dealing with professionals. Like, they, they oh, know yeah. exactly what they're doing. I mean, they have it figured out. They know exactly, you know, in that story is a prime example. They know exactly how much money it takes for you to, and how much money you're losing just by dealing with what, what has happened so far. So I appreciate you sharing that. This is a very powerful story. And I, I, I know our listeners will benefit from this. So let's, let's go a little bit further. So since you've been doing this a while, you have a lot of experience. Uh, what advice would you give our listeners trying to get into cybersecurity or trying to advance to the next level? A couple of different things I would just mention here, Frank, and that, and that is, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I think that, you know, there's so many opportunities and there's so many aspects to this. When I first start thinking about cybersecurity, it really, it's, it's almost any area of technology. You think about, you know, what, what is coming next, whether it be artificial intelligence, whether it be, you know, drones, whether it be autonomous vehicles. There's cybersecurity aspects to every area of that. So certainly think about what are you passionate about? Um, I love the line. I, I, I've used this in my career a lot. You know, uh, I call it the Wayne Gretzky thing, but, you know, going to where the puck's going to be. So look at, you know, what areas interest you in cybersecurity? There's a lot of different um, areas. Think in terms of a marathon and not just in terms of a sprint. You know, especially if you're going to do it as a career, it's not just, Something that, you know, sometimes people think about, you know, how I can make a quick buck. And of course, we all want to make good money and it's good money in cybersecurity. But I know in my career, one of the things I've done is I, I, I loved working in government because I got great training and I don't have any regrets there. A lot of people said, you know, you spent a lot, lot, of, lot of years in government. A lot of your listeners spent time in the military. That's great training. That's awesome. You can use that. And a lot of times you get more opportunities to do different things and try different things out and see what they liked. I really don't like programming that much. I was a, I got a degree in computer science, a master's in computer science, but I love networking. I love working with Cisco boxes and configuring networks. I loved a lot of different aspects of, of cybersecurity uh, technologies, but I also like public speaking. I like, I, I learned along the way how to communicate and, and we need people that can work with the business and can really think about the business side of it. So there are many different roles in cybersecurity. I think a couple of quick tips I would disclose with on this question. Try to be an enabler. Don't just say no. You know, I can come across, I know I do a lot of times, as someone who, you know, there's always a reason why you shouldn't do something. The answer is no, can't do it. What was the question? You know, no. But you got to try and get to yes. You know, look at other options, look at other ways that people are doing things. Think about how can I be proactively providing security in the right ways? You know, thinking about that thinking about how you can get to yes, be an enabler of, of, of new things and, you know, secure ways. So for example, I'm not saying don't, I'm not, you know, somebody says to me, Dan, can I do banking online? And I say, yes, but I want to, I want to give them secure ways that they can do that. Like using two-factor authentication by taking certain steps and not reusing passwords and cyber hygiene things and, and teaching people uh, ways that they can proactively improve. So, Always think about that. And the last tip I just give on that is as you're, as you're thinking about getting you know into this field. I, I mentioned earlier, you know, internships are great. 
getting student jobs, getting into organizations early, those all help. But there's there's plenty of need across the board. And, you know, there's lots of different aspects of cybersecurity, just like there are different types of doctors, different types of lawyers, there's different roles within cybersecurity. So it's not a one size fit all. There are a lot of different aspects to it. And I just encourage you to uh, take the steps to, to do that, you know, and, and uh, I, it, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a degree. I mean, I, I'm, I happen to believe in college degrees, but, you know, certifications can help. Um, there's a lot of different doors and ways you can get into the cyber field. Awesome. I, I appreciate that advice, Dan. It's, that's really a good sound advice. So Dan, I want to thank you for coming on the show. There will be a link in the description for Dan's book, his LinkedIn profile, his article at GovTech, Top 22 Cyber Predictions for 2022. And don't forget, cybersecurity is a team sport. Hey, thanks so much. I really appreciate you having me and wish you all the best in your career. Thank you for listening to the Cyber Huddle Podcast. Be sure to rate and or leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform.